Got to get back. Nunez brings that down. Nunez charging in, cuts it for Cavani, and he puts it wide. That should have been the winner for Uruguay's second leading scorer all time. America's soccer show is back after a weekend where the U.S. men survived a late scare against Uruguay, whose stock went up and whose stock went down after a scoreless draw in the Midwest. Not far away from Kansas City, in Chicago, Mexico was facing off against Ecuador. And once again, El Tri failed to find the back of the net. Change is needed, but where and who? This time around, three questions. Well, it may just not be enough. And speaking of questions, what's going on with Canada? Fresh off qualifying for their first World Cup in 36 years, the men's national team is refusing to play. Could a pay dispute disrupt preparations for Qatar? We've got you covered from Manitoba to Mazatlan on this edition of Football Americas. Welcome into the show alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. This is episode 134. Can you believe it? Wow. Football Americas. How was your weekend, my man? It was great. Manitoba to Mazatlan. So you only went to the half the country. You didn't want to go Chiapas, almost Guatemala. All right, well, I, I was just looking. I was looking for a rhyming scheme right. there. But of course, uh, everybody included. What other show could have you covered from from Manitoba to Mazatlan. I thought it was one of the unique things that we could offer here on Football Americas. Plenty of offerings in this show. Of course, we're covering uh, the U.S., Mexico, and that big developing story with the Canadian men's national team all en route to the World Cup. But we got some big developments, Herc, in the women's game as well. We got some bad news. Katerina Macario with a torn ACL. She's going to miss significant time. We'll talk about the impact that'll have on the U.S. women's national team. We also have some very good news, and that's the story around Trinity Rodman. Great E60 piece that we're going to show you on Trinity Rodman a little bit later in the show. But let's start with the highlights, Herc, from Sunday as the United States faced off against Uruguay in Kansas City. Children's Mercy Park. 19K in attendance. Christian Pulisic probably like the sellout crowd there. Pick this one up in the fifth minute. Early chance for Uruguay. They got off to a great start. Darwin Nunez all alone in the box, Herc. Yeah, Joe Scali gets spun right there. They spring on the right-hand side. Christian Pulisic suffers, and early chance for Uruguay. Yeah. A few minutes later, another breakthrough for the visitors. Yeah, this was constant, Seb. This was a constant theme for the U.S. men's national team. Yedlin, McKinney, whoever's on that side, not pressing. Weak side switch all day. Great chance early on for Uruguay in the 10th minute. Ball kind of scuffling around the penalty area. Eventually it's going to fall to, of all people, Herc, Diego Galin, and he almost puts it in Yedlin off the line. Yeah, I thought Yunus Musa did well right here, putting a body, look at this, a body right there. Does mm. enough, yeah, Nunez, where he can't make contact. It was smart of him, uh, and then off the line. So Uruguay, pretty dominant in the first 10 minutes, but the U.S. would come to life on the quarter hour mark. Here, Jesus Ferreira. Yeah, Jesus doesn't get his feet right there. He loses a bit of time trying to settle that ball. Gets caught between two minds. Watch this. This touch needs to be better in front of him. It stalls. He needs to take an extra touch to set it up. A good chance there. Monsoleta, a veteran of many World Cups, making the big save. 20th minute. More from the U.S. Great buildup here. Yedlin flying on the flank, Ferreira, oi, from point-blank range, Herc. Yeah, point-blank may or may not have been offsides on Ferreira. Uh, Yedlin needs to get this 
in front of him. It's a little mm. behind him. It's very difficult for Jesus Ferreira, but Jesus Ferreira again in the mix. Can't put it on target. Sean Johnson getting the start and goal for the U.S. Comes up big right there. Yeah, you, you need to step. You can't have your team in your own box backpedaling. And then uh, this is what you do want. You do want a player like Christian Pulisic running at the back line. Uruguay right there. Outside to in. Good little shot. He was being persistent at least. Yep. Scoreless at the half. This the beginning of the second half. Really one of the uh, few one-on-one -on -one chances we saw from Christian Pulisic throughout. 56th minute. Yeah, this comes Darwin off, Nunez. off a throw-in. This comes off a throw-in. You can't have that happen. Yedlin sleeping there. And then look, Eric Palmer Brown. That's a very compromising ball. Christian Pulisic gets stripped. Eric Palmer Brown, again, not really reacting. Thought he was going to bring him down here, if I'm being honest. Good little ball. And then go No. Oh, no. Wow. Wow. An unbelievable miss. Yeah. In his defense, I have no defense. Um, <laughs> You've just, never missed one like that, Hercules Gomez, no, correct? Uh, I've missed some bad ones, not one like that. Uh, it's difficult, sure. It's on the half bounce, but a player of his quality, you would have bet to put that one in. Now, Uruguay did not have these same finishing boots on that they had against Mexico, that's for sure. Big save here from Sean Johnson, probably his best of the day. Yeah, Sean Johnson, more reactionary, if you will. Uh, Brendan Aronson got caught here. Look at Brendan Aronson keeping the line on. Uh, miscommunication between Eric Palmer Brown, Walker Zimmerman. There are at least two players who could have had a go at that. Sean Johnson stays big. This is probably the ball finding Sean Johnson more than Sean Johnson finding the ball, but that's good positioning. Man, he's throwing his hat in the race for goalie. I'll tell you what, look out. All right, uh, 68th minute here, and we got some controversy. It's a friendly, so we'll give you a few more subs than usual, right? But we got to cut it off somewhere. Six, Uruguay took seven, Herc. Are, yeah. are we getting CONCACAF or Gunnabald at this point? Yeah, a little bit of both. <laughs> Diego Rossi. Eric Palmer Brown didn't want any of Diego Rossi right there. Oh, Diego Rossi, uh, for old time's sake right there. And this is supposed to be a homecoming for Eric Palmer Brown. Not one of his finest moments. And then Diego Rossi thought he should have pulled the trigger a little bit earlier. Yeah, and how about Walker Zimmerman uh, coming across there and making a big play into stoppage time. And here's the last great chance for Uruguay. I, I don't really know what Nunez is thinking or what Cavani's doing. I mean, what what's happening there, Hurt? Well, I feel for Cavani because this goes right off of uh, Eric Palmer Brown's calf, if you will, and falls to Cavani in a very kind of surprising moment. He just kind of swings at it. But that way, Nunez, you got to hit that on goal, my man. All right, here's Greg Berhalter after the game. We get a lot of questions about set in stone. I would say nothing at this level set in stone just because of the nature of what we're doing. We're picking a team every diff every camp, and it, a lot of it depends on health status, right? So um, what I've learned in this in this job is not to, not to set everything in stone, be flexible, be fluid, and be able to adapt. We're going to play two other World Cup participants in September. Um, Morocco is 25th in the world and is a World Cup participant, um, another good, good opponent. And the idea is to play quality teams. And the reason why is because you want to go into the World Cup with confidence that you can beat anyone on any given day. You know, I remember when, when we were on the team, Brian and myself and Ernie, in 2002, we played Italy and, and Russia and Germany before the World Cup. And that gave us a ton of confidence that we can compete with anybody. Herc, no doubt about it, a draw against Uruguay is a good result, but does it flatter the U.S. men's national team for their performance on Sunday? I don't know about flatter the U.S. men's national team. Uh, oh, so you, you thought they were deserving of a draw? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Mm -hmm. Very well dissected, Seb. Uh, good job on that. Uh, 
No, but both teams had chances, absolutely. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, if you're Diego Alonso, you're going to feel happy about that defensive effort from Uruguay. Sure, a lot of offensive output. You could have scored some goals, probably should have scored some goals. The goals that you did score in Mexico, Mm -hmm. you probably didn't score against the U.S. men's national team. And if you're Greg Berhalter, and I said this when I was watching the first half, tactically it was a mess for both teams. Uh, There were goals in this game for both teams. More for Uruguay? Yeah, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. But if you're the U.S. men's national team, you also put Uruguay in some compromising positions. What I'm most worried about if I'm the U.S. men's national team is this Uruguay team historically and as of date isn't a team that's supposed to have the lion's share of the ball, supposed to have a lion's share of the offensive play. They're a team that sits back and is reactive, uh, is good in transition, will pick their moments. That wasn't the case. Now, I know conditions probably weren't ideal. You're playing a a June game Mm -hmm. in Kansas City. A day game, mind you. The heat, humidity, uh, the way the ball won't travel fast, your opponent probably a little bit more used to it than you. you. Sure, but this is your home game, and Mm. and this could have been a game where they were routed, and because Uruguay didn't take advantage of those goals, they weren't. But in the same breath, I could say the U.S. men's national team had their chances, and if they would have scored, this could have been a very difficult game, very different game, excuse me. That wasn't the case. Flattering? Uh, I wouldn't go and say flattering 0-0 scoreline, but they will take it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you say they could have gotten routed. I guess that's what I was thinking when I came up with the question, did it flatter the U.S.? Uh, It probably could have been two or three to one. You're right. The U.S. had some chances, certainly more than Mexico created against Uruguay. Uh, But it also probably could have been five or six, right? Uruguay had some really high-end, high-quality chances. I think what we see here, and I'm drawn to the comparison between Mexico, even though this was a totally different Uruguay, at least in the first half, to the one that played Mexico, right? Uh, Diego Alonso made, I think, 10 changes from the team that we saw against El Tri. Is the gap, man. The gap between CONMEBOL and CONCACAF. If Mexico and the U.S. are the best that CONCACAF has to offer, Uruguay, let's not forget, before Diego Alonso came in, they weren't going to the World Cup. This isn't the best, necessarily, of CONMEBOL, and they look miles ahead of both Mexico and the United States. And I think one thing that we saw in this game, Herc, is like when you actually get to the highest levels against an Uruguay, we haven't seen maybe the U.S. take on such a high-quality opponent. The questions that we've been asking about the center of defense and the number nine position, that's where you really see them because those are the teams that punish you. Uruguay didn't in this case, um, but these are the games that punish you if you're not contundente in the, in the final attacking third offensively. Jesus Ferreira was not. And these are the games where you get punished for your mistakes, usually. And there were mistakes. There was softness in that underbelly of the U.S. defense that we haven't seen them pay for in CONCACAF. Uh, you've seen them pay for in CONCACAF, uh, just not enough. And that's the issue. They play against a Canadian national team, Costa Rica, in Costa Rica, and you see them get punished for those mistakes. I agree with you. That is the difference when you're talking about player talent is how consistently can you do it, right? Because you see evident talent on both sides, whether you're talking about the U.S. men's national team or Mexico or even the Canadian national team, the elite of CONCACAF. You see that talent level. But there's a reason that some of these players aren't in Europe or the ones that are in Europe aren't getting consistently looked at or on the field for consistently good clubs. Uh, That's because it's a consistency thing. It's very easy to get there. I've always heard this. It's very easy to get there, to maintain yourself, to stay there. That is a difficult task, and you're seeing that. A lot of these fires aren't put out, and who does put them out is usually the opponent. Yeah, yeah. it almost felt like a clean sheet de casualidad, no? Like it's a shutout. Um, but it, it may well could have been three or four. All right, let's get to some individual assessments here, right? 
Let's do some stock up, stock down. Why don't we start with Jesus Ferreira, who gets his second straight start. He played 61 minutes hurt before being replaced by Haji Wright. Yeah, this is stock down. Um, Jesus Ferreira is playing there as a nine, even though he's not a nine, even though he plays as a nine in club soccer with FC Dallas, and he's scoring goals as a nine for Major League Soccer, but he's not a nine, but he will get an opportunity as a nine because he does other things that nines in the pool really can do that Greg Berhalter likes. His interplay, combination, in the final third, his movement, interpretation of space, his hold-up play, the way he takes care of the ball, the smart decisions, the runs, etc., etc. All that, all that, wasn't on display in Kansas. Mm -hmm. uh, forget about the chances that he missed. There was also one that that um, Timothy Weah played across the face of goal that I thought he was late to react on that we didn't see. Uh, forget about those. He also, everything we heard he was good at, he didn't show us. Mm -hmm. And he didn't show us enough of him being on the ball. If you're not going to have an actual nine there, a killer in the area, a guy who just needs one, if you're not going to have that guy there, then whoever's playing in that position has to be seen, has to make his presence felt when he's on the field because you're taking away a true goal scorer's nine opportunity if he's out there for them. Let me get a forward's perspective on the miss in the first half. Yedlin screams it across. Ferreira's clearly there. That's one of those where you're like, well, it's point-blank range. It should be a tap-in. But I feel like it's, it's much harder than that. How bad of a miss was that actually? So, assuming that's onside, I actually i am not putting too much of that on Ferreira. I think mm. the ball is played behind him. Even so, what you want to do in a forward who's been there in that position uh, lots of times is just get in front of the ball. I mean, get the ball in front of you where you can put something on it and just direct it down. That's all you need to do. It's very difficult because it's coming behind him. But these are things that an actual forward, because of repetition, because of that scenario, who's been in it, will be good at. And I'm sure Jesus will get better at it. But you see the touches here, Seb. 32 touches. That's the least, the least out of anybody with 75 minutes in both games that they've played. I don't worry so much about the nine if he has a few touches. Mm. If it's a player like Chicharito, because I know what he can do with that one touch that he does have can make the difference. With a player like Jesus, who plays more as a 10, that's where I want to see him on the ball. Mm. Get involved. And that wasn't the case. Yeah, there was, there was really for me only one obvious missed chance against Morocco. There was like two or three, maybe four, at least you would say good half chances for him to score in this game. And so it's very disappointing. I, I think it's got to be, for me, a, a stock down, a big stock down. And Herc, most importantly for Fededa, a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. He clearly came into this window with the opportunity to grab this job. And it's a unique window because it was against real World Cup competition. Had Jesus Ferreira scored against Morocco, had he taken one of those chances against Uruguay, we would be having the conversation today about Jesus Ferreira as the number nine in the driver's seat going to Qatar with very little question. Now it's still wide open as we head further and further into the summer months. And we're not going to get real answers from the Nations League. Let's be honest about that. We may see somebody else score goals, but that's not really going to tell us what we need to know for what's coming in the World Cup. Next up on Stock Up or Stock Down, Joe Scallyhurk, a player that you've been calling for a lot throughout this World Cup qualifying campaign. The 19-year-old got his first start for the U.S., and it came at left back. What would you think of his performance? This is a stock down, and it's unfortunate because, one, he's 19 years old playing on the opposite side. Yeah, he's played there before in the Bundesliga, but it's not his preferred position. Um, but also because of the way he was left hung out to dry. Hmm. Hung out to dry. 
he often was on an island forced to backpedal and defend or last-ditch efforts because he's weak side defending because Yedlin doesn't press up, because who's in front of him, whether it's Weston McKinney or, or whoever else is there, doesn't put out a fire before it starts. Uh, it's, it's a... A switch on the weak side, he's one-on-one, he's backpedaling, he makes a bad decision, he gets in his own head, and all of a sudden, people are giving up on Joe Scali at 19 years of age, who plays in the Bundesliga because of, of a bad Kansas City afternoon versus a Uruguay team that does well in transition on the wings. I don't understand it. Yes, his stock is down, but the amount of, and I'm not talking about fans on social media because you expect that out of fans. Fans are fans, okay? I'm talking about pundits. I'm talking about people who do this for a living, who are giving up on a 19-year-old player who plays in the Bundesliga and are saying, see, Shaq Moore should have gone. That's why Shaq Moore is there. It, it, it blows my mind. Don't give up on a player like this. I'm with you, stock down, and I'm interested in the point that you make about him being kind of set up to fail, because I don't know if you saw ESPNFC the other day, but Casey Keller talked about how the outside backs in this Burhalter system are often put on that island and really, truly tested. But if that's the case, Herc, do we see the same weaknesses? Do we see the same one-on-one struggles in, like, Anthony Robinson's game? I feel like we haven't seen that. Uh, in his role at left back with the national team. So for me... um, You're right. Anthony Robinson looked good against Panama. He looked good against uh, El Salvador. He looked great great against Great point, yeah. Yeah, no. Okay, so different levels of competition there. Still, it's a huge missed opportunity. And I'm a huge Anthony Robinson fan. And you know this. But I agree with Casey. And if you're set up that way, you have to take care of the ball. There's a play where Yedlin comes on, he attacks the ball, and Weston collapses as well. It rebounds off the both of them, and that's how they spring the switch. you got to put out those fires before they start. Oficio. you got to understand the game. And they didn't. Yeah. Uh, One point on missed opportunities. Greg Berhalter and this U.S. team, Herc, they need a backup left back. You can't just go to the World Cup and rely on Anthony Robinson. You'd love it if that backup left back could also play right back and was versatile. Joe Scally fits that profile, does he not? So yeah. this was an opportunity to, for him to say, you know I can do it at right back. Now I can do it at left back. That's it. So, you know, we talk about these rare opportunities for guys on the bubble, man. This really felt like one for Joe Scally. Speaking of guys on the bubble, Eric Palmer Brown. We know there's going to be a big race for who's going to play alongside Walker Zimmerman in the center of defense. Aaron Long started this match. He was replaced at halftime by Eric Palmer Brown. What do you think of EPB? Uh, stock down. Mm. Um, really quickly on Aaron, on Aaron Long, it seems like Greg Berhalter is giving this partnership with Walker Zimmerman every chance of kind of flourishing or every chance uh, of gelling together that he can, at least based off what we saw last game and the beginning of this game. Um, Eric Palmer Brown comes on as a sub and immediately look at this pass right here. There's no need for that five-yard pass to Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic's not even facing the play right, and then it gets countered on. He was slow to react. He was slow to read the game. And it's sad because this was a bit of a homecoming from him. Mm-hmm. He, he, he grew up in that stadium. He SKC grew up, Academy, he grew up yep. play, playing for SKC. This was a game you know he was chomping at the bit for. But it didn't go his way. And a lot of that is a bad day, but it's also repetition. You don't know who you're playing with. And as a center back, it's so important, Mm. the communication, the repetition, the flow, the balance. And that's not there with these center backs because they've not played together. Yeah, I got to go stock down here, too. Of course, we saw the play in the highlights where Diego Rossi put him on skates. I don't know if you also saw the highlight there at the end. I don't know that we showed the entire buildup or maybe the best angle of it, but the great chance for Cavani at the end. Walker Zimmerman goes to win a ball, and you would think that the other defender should cover in behind. And what happens there, it comes right where Zimmerman was, 
Palmer Brown late to react, and it's an easy two-on-one that Uruguay doesn't finish almost, uh, I think, by luck right there. On top of that, we saw what he was on the ball. There wasn't that confidence. So I look at a guy like Eric Palmer Brown, and again, huge opportunity, and it's missed. And there was chaos, Herc, in that second half in the center defense. So if you're also evaluating it from Greg Berhalter's perspective, you're not just evaluating Eric Palmer Brown. You're evaluating the partnership. And to your point, clearly the partnership that looks like the one partnership right now is Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long. You said off the top, you you pointed that out. Do you have a problem with that? I would love to see Chris Richards. So, yeah, yeah, Mm. absolutely. I think Chris Richards, in my eyes, is in the driver's seat. Um, It's Walker Zimmerman and, and somebody else. And I believe that somebody else is Chris Richards. All right. So plenty more discussion, I'm sure throughout the coming months about the central defense. But what about wingers, Herc? This team has a lot of talent. Uh, wing outside on the wings as well. Tim Weah getting his start, his second straight. Uh, he came off at the half, so just 45 minutes of action. You giving him a stock up or a stock down? Stock up. And I'm trying to rack my brain to think of the last game I saw Timmy Weah play in where I thought he underwhelmed. Hmm. I've been left wanting more. But for good reason, because he showed me some very good things. I want to see more of it. But really thinking Timothy Weah, and one of my big problems with him was, hey, you're in a position where you got to put the ball in the back of the net. you got to get assists. you got to be dangerous. we got to remember you. Well, we've remembered him since he's really gotten that opportunity with the U.S. Men's National Team. He continues to impress. He continues to be one of the bright spots every single time the U.S. Men's National Team plays. You remember the Timothy Weah play. You remember something that he did. Yeah. All right. This is this is getting ridiculous because we're agreeing on everything here. I will. Uh, I will go. Uh, I'll go stock up on Wea as well. He's he's. I know the word is like verticality. I like the word downhill. He's a guy that looks like he's physically playing downhill. He is running at people, and that's so problematic. Um, I love his game, and I think he's the one guy Herc that, as we talk about moving pieces around, would probably most benefit from the discussion that we're having about moving a Polisic an Aronson arena into the center of the park. Because if you do that, then you open up a spot out wide. And if, if you believe, her that Tim Weah has to be in the lineup, and I don't know that you feel that way, but if you believe that, then you almost are going to have to move one of those guys into the middle. Yeah, I don't know about Timothy Weah. I know there's been a lot of clamor to see him in the middle, but why take a guy who's so good roaming around out wide and limit him to his back to go or limit him With center backs who want to be physical, I just think you take away a lot of the good that he can do. But I agree with what you're saying. I mean, when push comes to sub, you're either moving somebody in that midfield or you're moving somebody in that trident. Yeah, because of those three guys I mentioned, he's probably, if they're all fit, he's probably fourth in that pecking order. And if you think about that, that means, you know, not only not starting games, you're not even the first guy off the bench. So for me, the way he's playing right now needs to be a lot closer to playing time than second or third or fourth or even further down off the bench. I think he's really starting... Uh, to show that he can perform at an elite level. We saw it at the end of the regular season in France, too. Remember that that big-time turnaround he had over the last couple of months? I see you itching to get something in. Quickly, quickly, before we move on. Ooh, me? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm just saying I agree with you on Timothy Weah. He's a good oh. player. Oh, okay. Sorry, right, I had the good. producer talking to me. <laughs> no worries. Okay, enough stock up, stock down. Let's check the mention, Harkin. Let's, uh, why don't we check the mentions on you? This is from the... I don't know what, uh, what was the second half of the USA-Uruguay match? Maybe a couple cellas in. Unpopular U.S. men's don't national team drink. take. Yunus Musa is a poor man's Darlington Nagby. Uh, and then, of course, the internet reacting accordingly. You had, what, over 100 quote tweets? Is that right there? And, I believe uh, the young fellows <laughs> call that being ratioed. Yes, yes. 
Um, all right, so here's your responses. You're not going to delete it. Lots of calls for you to delete the tweet. It, it seems almost like the people on Twitter who follow you don't know you, but uh, no chance, folks. I'm going to tell you that this guy well, you is going to. Don't be insecure yes. and say, let me delete this. 100%. Me, I'm yeah. with you on that. As somebody who's crafted a few bad takes of his own. Um, okay, so everybody getting in on this. Sasha Kleschen, former U.S. Men's National Team or current Galaxy midfielder with the barf emoji. I mean, you don't need to explain that anymore. He's right? a sweet guy. I can't he say anything about it. He's, he's a really sweet guy. All right, here's another ex-teammate of yours. Stuart Holden, still playing too. Who was calling the game and probably, probably threw his headset off in disgust after reading your tweet. He chimed in uh, as well. There you go. Okay. Oh, look at that, Stu. Good for you. Okay, Herc, so I'm looking at the rundown right here. It says you've got two minutes. You may need about 22, but why don't you defend your tweet? Or don't defend your tweet. Just better explain it, please. <laughs> Was it poorly phrased? Sure, maybe. Yes. Uh, I think my point got across, though. When I look at these two players, they're very, very similar. Very technical players with the ability to drive the ball from one zone of the midfield into the attacking third, mm. uh, who happen to lack defensive ability or bite, and have very little in product when it comes to actual goal scored or assists produced. I consider them to be luxury pieces. And you know, we've covered Darlington Nagby for quite some time, and one of the things that I've harped on, and I know Alejandro Moreno and a few others have harped on when we cover him, is like, very good. Like, it's a very good player. But you wish he was more of a final product. And when I look at Darlington Nagby, even though Darlington Nagby is 19 years old, I see the same luxury piece. A very good player. Yes, technical ability, vision, all that is very good. But my point stands. He's a player that needs to figure out that final pass. He needs to figure out that final ball. Uh, because if you're playing in that midfield, that MMA, Mm -hmm. uh, you could be the odd man out. You talk about players being healthy if Gio's healthy, if Brendan Aronson's there, if Pulisic is there, if you've got a, a player, Timmy Weah, who's there, if you've got everybody healthy, well, in that midfield, you could be the odd man out for even a Luca De La Torre. Yeah. All right. So uh, Hurt got everybody in the world talking about Yunus Musa with his tweet, including the manager of the U.S. men's national team, who was asked about Musa after the match. Let's hear what he had to say. Eunice is a guy that just blows me away at his age, what he can do. Um, you know, crazy level of talent. We need to work with Eunice on these final, the final product, the, pass, the final pass, the finishing, because he has um, a huge ceiling. How about that, Herc? Greg Berhalter coming to your defense. That, don't, de <laughs> don't defend me. Help me here. <laughs> no, but it, look, poorly phrased. Maybe, sure, yes. absolutely, because yes. by no means was I trying to say he's less than Darlington Nagby, and yes. I guess that's how it came across. Uh, but the point stands. There's a player that I see with a huge future high ceiling that I wish had more end product. Sure, the similarities that you're getting at are, are not enough end product and overwhelmingly technical, which you're paying a compliment uh, to Eunice Moosen comparing him to Darlington Nagby in that sense. I think it's one thing to be lacking end product when you're 19 versus a player who lacked and product his entire career. Yeah, but I think don't that's... think of the age. Think of the because this is the national team. This like when did we start saying but the age for the national team anywhere? You you play because you're good enough. It doesn't. It's not like an old enough thing. That's that's my only thing, and I'll let you continue. Okay, can I just give the example then of like a Vinicius Junior who didn't have end product Correct. at a certain point? Yes, and eventually. And blew up. Yes. found end product. Like it's not, you can find it. Absolutely. Maybe Yunus, maybe Yunus Musa uh, will do that in his career. I don't know. I think another critical 
difference is you, you talked about Yunus Musa pushing the ball. He, to me, is a north-south player. For me, Darlington Nagmi was always an east-west player. And I think that's a Ooh, huge man. difference. Darlington that's a could huge drive the difference. ball. Darlington could drive At what the ball, level? Man. At what level? And the level he played. I mean, oh, listen, against, he got his papers Trinidad to play with the Cuba national in 2017. team. And that's what it is. It's these triggers. It's Major League Soccer. It's Cova. It's the stench, all that, that triggered people. And I get it. I understand it. You're one of those people, Seb. Okay, uh, so enough on the U.S. Let's talk about who they might be facing in the World Cup. In fact, who they will be facing. Wales and Ukraine squaring off for the last spot in Group B on Sunday in Wales. Of course, we know the backstory with Ukraine overcoming so much just to get to this point. And honestly, Herc, they were the better team early on. They were the better team early on, and this is a sad one for me, man. They were very good. Look at this chance right here. Oh, you thought it was, you just thought it was going to be there. I thought it was going to be their day. Yeah, Wayne Hennessy just had a huge game for Wales in that. And then here's the goal. Gareth Bale off the set piece. Andrei Yarmolenko, the captain, Herc, heading it into his own net. You feel for Yarmolenko how impressive he's been for Ukraine, given the circumstances. But again, it's Gareth Bale at the heart of everything. Herc, big controversy here. Yarmolenko down in the Penalty. box. Okay. But no VAR. Mateo Lajos, nothing. That's just ridiculous. I mean, and then what are you going to do? One after the other, the ball won't go in. Hennessy just having a, a worldy in goal. And Wales going back to the World Cup for the first time since 1958. All right, so here's the U.S. schedule then for the World Cup. Things open up November 21st against Wales. Then it's Black Friday against England. U.S. will finish up the group phase November 29th against Iran. All right, Herc, now that the group is finally set, are the U.S. favorites to advance as one of the top two teams out of Group B? Favorites? No. No, 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 no. Uh, Rob Page said it best, uh, their coach, he thinks it's a, Wells' coach, head coach, a mm-hmm. very winnable game when wow. he was interviewed after talking about the U.S. men's national team. And this is a team that's very dynamic on the wings. Uh, they've got some very good players in, in Daniel James, in Ramsey, in Kareth Bell, who is by far the best player on his day in Group B. In Group B, in that group, on his day. Don't come at me, it's Gareth Bell. I don't care what you say uh, or, or the memes you can throw out or the insults you can throw out at him in golf, whatever you want. He's still a very good player, a game changer who changes a game by himself. Flips it on his head, on its head, by wow. himself. And this is a team that has two Euros under its belt. It's got experience. And the U.S. men's national team is heading into a World Cup where for many, it'll be the first World Cup. A very inexperienced group with a very inexperienced coach at this level. Uh, By no means are they favorites. Can they get out? Sure. But favorites? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, You always say, what are FIFA rankings worth? But if you look at the FIFA rankings, this is literally like the tightest group. All right? The U.S. is ranked 15th. Wales is ranked 18th. Iran is ranked 21st. I was surprised, actually, to see that the U.S. are not the favorites according to either the SPI or the odds makers or to you, Hercules Gomez. So the U.S. then are, we're saying, underdogs to get out of this group. It all's going to come down to that game on November 21st. If you beat Wales, yep. England almost at that point becomes a free roll. If you draw against Wales, then it's pretty much all in on the last match against Iran. If you lose against Wales, you're probably not going through, Herc. That's what it is. And if you play against a team like Wales that has been there, done that at an international stage. 
knows what it's about, has players that are of quality. And I mentioned it. Gareth Bell is a game changer. Gareth Bell is one of the premier players over the last decade. When you put a player like that on the field in his first World Cup, that's a scary sight. Long before the World Cup, Herc, it's the Nations League. U.S. getting ready to face off in their next Nations League game on Friday against Granada. That one exclusively in English right here on ESPN+. Plus. Coverage starts 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors. Tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. All right, let's turn our attention to Mexico, shall we? We're taking on Ecuador in Chicago. Andrés Guardado. All right, Jared. Captain's armband for El Tri, there's our colleague, Jared Borghetti, and of course, Tata Martino, 14 minutes into this one where we pick it up. Jesus Gallardo involved, Mexico's first chance, Tecatito. Yeah, you never want to see a player come off injured. This was the case, probably should have put that away, absolutely, but come off injured, it's Danny, we'll see the extent of it. Yeah, he actually fought through it and played for a while, but uh, eventually did have to come off. Big save from Memo Chon, Ibarra. This is one of the most insane saves I've seen in quite some time. He went <laughs> de on Ibarra. Yeah, really good stuff. No doubt anymore about who Mexico's best player is. Raul Jimenez with a clear chance in the 70th. Oh, that chance. You got to think an inform. Raul Jimenez puts that away. And then what do you think, Sub? Penalty? My first instinct was yes. I was more surprised at Tata Martino's reaction, man. He's going crazy. It's not the World Cup yet, buddy. Yeah, Antuna, you know, lays those legs out trying to draw VAR, contact. If there's VAR, that's a penalty. If there's VAR, that's a penalty. Nah, I don't know. I think he tried to draw it. Gallardo right there with the set piece. And then, uh-oh. Yep, in the 80th minute, we heard the homophobic chant. Got the stoppage of play. Uh, unfortunately, when they took the next gold kick, you heard it again. Not quite as loud, but you still heard it. Match finishes 0-0 afterwards. We heard this from the Mexican manager, Tata Martino. Hi, Herc. Time for the latest edition of Three Questions. Who's more to blame for Mexico's recent struggles? The players 
or the manager, Tata Martino? Uh, it's the players. Listen, we could talk to her. I'm sorry. Let, let me just cut in for a second here. It's not the first this time. Is, this, is the not most, the first time. <laughs> this is the most anti-manager, pro-player pundit I have ever worked with. We'll never blame the players. And you're blaming the players. You asked the question. Mm -hmm. Who is more to blame for these recent performances? We could sit here until we're blue in the face about the <laughs> fact that Mexico doesn't export players. Los directivos, the chairman, the, the board uh, of the federation and these clubs are hurting the Mexican national team, are hurting the Mexican product, the future development, etc., etc. Whatever you may want to pull out of this hat of problems that you have at, at the federational level or at the Liga MX level, you could do whatever you want, but none of that is Tata Martino's fault. Not one thing of that is his fault. Player selection right now, you could say, sure. Who's he going to bring in that's going to change something? Chicharito, you're going to say? Okay, uh, Kelvin Alvarez, uh, 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 Rocha from Atlas. Like, that's going to change what's going on right now? No, no one player is going to change anything. It's the players. And what's happening here is they don't have a good collective performance, and that could be. But sometimes the individual player itself will get you by. The quality of the player. The fact is, the quality right now is lacking. And not only is quality lacking, but you don't have enough players in a good moment, in momento bueno. Mm. You look at the mm. players right now who are actually playing well consistently for club, consistently for country. It's a Memo Choa, it's a Cesar Montes, your center back, and Edson Alvarez, Edson Alvarez, the center midfielder. That is it. And that is mm. the problem right now with this national team. Look, I'm not going to sit here and defend the players. There's not one player other than Memo Choa that you can honestly defend. Uh, after the last two performances. It's very, very difficult. Here's what I'll say about Tata Martino. He's the one that chooses the players. And I understand that your point, I understand your point. Oh, well, who's he going to bring in? It's not just who he's going to bring in. It's the players literally already on the team, down the depth chart that he's not giving opportunities for. We see Tecatito over and over again, despite the fact that he doesn't produce. We see Raul Jimenez over and over again, despite the fact that he doesn't produce. We see Hector Herrera. We see Andres Guardado. These guys are not working in whatever midfield setup they're going at. And at the back, Herc, I don't think we have any answers. We will talk about the defense a little bit later on. But all of those things to me track back to the manager. You saw his frustration after the penalty wasn't called. That was a guy who is desperate for anything to hang his hat on. It's a missed penalty when there's no VAR in a friendly. And that desperation we're starting to see. Tata Martino was always a, I'm a 4-3-3 guy. Now it's a 4-2-3-1. Then we saw five at the back. And guess what, Herc? None of it is working. That's got to be down to the manager. I'm Seb, sorry. You said players. They didn't try anybody. We just saw Luis Romo, Alexis Vega. We saw Nene Beltran. Whoever you may want to throw in that mix, it's Arteaga. I'm sorry, um, Angulo. It's not working. Players, different players, same players. It's the same result. It happens to be a talent level thing. Let me throw this player's name into our next question. Should Raul Jimenez stay in the starting spot as Mexico's number one, number nine? Another game, Herc, without a goal. No. No. <gasps> and, what? And we can't uh, forget the unfortunate incident, right? But since that incident, he's not been the same player. Since that incident, I believe he scored one goal, and it's been a penalty kick for the, mm. for the Mexican national team. Excuse me. He's oftentimes looked frustrated, oftentimes looked like he gets out of his comfort zone looking for the ball. I he mean, look things. at these chances. This is a forward that's not even putting it on net. You, 
Uh, maybe you've never been there, but this this ass is a player who's lost. Well, He's gone. Hold on, hold on. What, I, what I'm trying to say is you get so frustrated, you start doing things you normally wouldn't do, you get in your own head, and then it turns into a snowball effect. Mm. It comes bigger and bigger. The problem gets bigger and bigger, more repetitive. It's over and over again. All of a sudden, you're in your own head, and you're in your, excuse me, in your own head and can't do anything about it. So it may be best for Raul Jimenez to sit down to take a step aside, for Tata Martino to give somebody else an opportunity. And in that, maybe either you find another player who's more capable of it or in a better moment, or Raul Jimenez is fresher mentally. Yeah. He regains that hunger, he regains that momentum, he regains that inspiration for trying to at least be back on the field and do something productive. Yeah, I'm actually with you. That might be a good idea. I would never think that a striker that wasn't scoring would want to not play, but at this point, it may be better for Raul Jimenez to just sit because it's not working her he absolutely needs to sit on the bench Mexico absolutely needs to move on from him as the only number nine right now and I don't care who it is it's Chicharito it can be anybody honestly play with a false nine at this point because right now there seems to be zero percent chance when I watch Raul Jimenez play that he's gonna score so I would rather roll the dice with literally anybody else at this point he's just not that guy I'm sorry and I hate to say it I hate to say it Oh, he's our penalty taker. So there you go. If, if there's a penalty to be taken, Raul Jimenez should be there. There should be there. Como, como Beto? Uh, Beto, our producer Beto says that's uh, Mexico's best chance for goal. Maybe, maybe another naturalizado. It wasn't Funes be Mori. Careful maybe maybe Julio Furch. Be careful what you wish for because you want a, uh, a false nine Pizarros on the roster and that could be your false no, nine. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You I said anybody. Don't go crazy. Don't go crazy. I did say anybody. All right. Who from Sunday's back four? Are you keeping in a future starting 11? Hector Moreno, Nestor Araujo in the center defense. Jesus Gallardo and Jorge Sanchez on the outsides. Okay, uh, I'm going to pick Jorge Sanchez. Now, I'm being very careful here not to throw the baby, not to throw out the baby with the bathwater, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Because I actually think he's been a good player. Uh, Last night, I think the only play he misread or wasn't there for was the backdoor header from Ibarra that he lost the, he lost the player on. Other than that, I thought he was decent defensively, that it was very good. A few moments where he read the play beautifully, a play that went backdoor that he kind of held off and, and he did well on. This is a player that I think could do very good things for the Mexican national a player that I think is better than his Liga MX uh, level, current level. A player that not too far ago, not too long ago, uh, in our production crew, uh, Mexican fans were saying Christian Pulisic was in his pocket for how he played in El Estadio Azteca. It's a very good player, and I don't want to throw him in or lump him in this group because I know fans, they want to see a different left back, and they want to see Johan Vasquez and Cesar Montes. I understand that. But this player right now, it's not him. It's Julian. It's uh, Julian Alvarez, uh, or Arajo, excuse Arajo. me, Julian Arajo. And Julian Arajo isn't necessarily having the best season with the LA Galaxy. He's a player that I'm very high on. I'm very high on. But if I had to choose between him or, or Sanchez right now, I'll go Sanchez. Kevin Alvarez, a player that I just saw get smoked, you know, in, in the Mexican League finals versus Atlas. He's, he's a player that's very young, a player that can produce. But defending-wise, when it comes to that skill to, to defend and attack, I think Jorge Sanchez is your guy. I'm looking at this back four, Herc, and uh, we'll leave Sanchez aside for just a second. But the other three, Nestor Araujo, Hector Moreno, Jesus Gallardo, I'm, I'm not saving them at all. Uh, I think Gallardo, we've seen enough. There was a time where maybe he could bring you something in the attacking third. He really doesn't provide that anymore. Hector Moreno is, is too slow. He's going to get exposed at, at an elite international level. 
And Nestor Araujo, I will just never understand. I don't understand how this guy can be a, a week in and week out starter for a middle of the table team in one of the best leagues in the world and look so, not even bang average, below bang average almost every time with Mexico. Based on his CV, he should absolutely be Mexico's number one center back. And right now, for me, again, he's not even near the top two. Jorge Sanchez is the most rescatable of this four because at right back you need people. But honestly, and I say this as an Americanista, I've seen Jorge Sanchez make some big mistakes. You talk about Kevin Alvarez getting burned at club level. I've seen Jorge Sanchez get burned at club level. I saw him make big mistakes last night. For me, I look across this back line, I see nothing, nothing hurt but questions. Maybe Montes I feel somewhat confident in, and maybe Arteaga, and I'm saying that mostly because of his CV. And probably because I haven't seen enough of him in Mexico to see him play poorly with the national team. That's honestly what it yeah, is. Yeah, I think Montes is your safest bet there. Mm, there it is. So uh, not a lot of confidence then in Mexico's back line, whether it's a back four or a back five. Let's check out Mexico's Nations League schedule. Coming up, they got a, a couple games. June 11th against Suriname. That shouldn't be a too much of a tenth. But then June 14th, they're away to Jamaica. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Canada's World Cup warm-up match against Panama canceled on Sunday when the team refused to play because of a labor dispute with the Canadian Federation. Players are asking for 40% of World Cup prize money, a friends and family travel package, and as they're calling it, equitable structure with our women's national team that shares the same player match fees, percentage of prize money earned at our respective FIFA World Cups, and the development of a women's domestic league. In a statement, the players also said Canada soccer had disrespected the team, calling the relationship with their federation strained. Here's Canadian Federation President Nick Bonkis. First, address the men's proposal that we have analyzed through empirical data. If we as an association only had the men's team and the women's team to take care of and nothing else. No futsal, no beach, no para, no U20, no U17, no U15 on both sides. No coaching development programs, no referee development programs, no national championships. We could still not afford this proposal. It is untenable. All right, given what you just heard, are you cool with the Canadian men's national team sitting out this rare tune-up for the World Cup? Look at that. Somebody from the Federation saying it's the players' fault. They're going to kill soccer for everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm cool with it. Let me tell you why I'm cool with it. Um, Canadian soccer business, CSB, 
is something within their federation like a marketing arm. It's very much likened to what is some Soccer United marketing mm -hmm. and what they do. They signed a proposal or an agreement with them that wasn't transparent to the players, neither on the men's side nor the women's side, and the players on both sides want to enact change. If they've ever had leverage to enact change, it's now. If they are ever going to do something of worth, it is now. This World Cup, and they understand that the big one is coming up in 2026. Some of the demands, okay? More former players from the men's, women's, and Paralympic team to be integrated into leadership positions within Canada's soccer board and organization. It kills me that people behind a desk don't see what this game needs. They see a business proposal from a third party they think is good and they don't realize that it may be good for them in their pockets but not good for the game, not conducive for the growth of the game. And these players understand so. And they are fighting for what they believe in. So yes, I am cool with it. Uh, to your point about Canadian soccer business, I love the parallel you drew to Soccer United Marketing because it's actually run by the Canadian Premier League. So a uh, very similar relationship there in the way that it helps support the Canadian Federation. And I think actually the lack of transparency that we had for a long time in the United States between U.S. soccer and Soccer United Marketing may have contributed her to some of the equal pay issues that we saw down here. So I'm never, ever going to side with management when it's labor v. management. What I'll say here is I won't believe the Federation, because we heard this from the U.S. Soccer Federation as well over the years, right? Whenever there's a pay dispute, it is, well, then we can't afford X, Y, Z, A, B, C. There's not going to be soccer for anybody else. It's the oldest play in the playbook, and, and I don't think you can buy it. I also want to caution, though, something here as far as um, what the men's national team is talking about in their proposal. They're talking about equal percentages of World Cup prize money. Now, the women's national team for Canada came out with a statement that basically said that the proposal that the men are putting forth, while equitable, is not what the women would consider equal pay. So if the Canadian men are going to go out there and, and bring the Canadian women into this, it's not equitable pay. It's equal pay. And be honest and upfront about that. I don't have any problem with the Canadian men's national team taking advantage of this moment and asking for more. But don't bring the women in unless you're going to fight for what the women are asking for, not what you think the women should be asking for. There's where we stand right now on the Canadian men's national team. There are reports out of Canada, the latest just a couple hours ago, that the Canadian Federation thinks they soon may have a press release stating that there's uh. progress between the two sides. Let's hope for better days for Canadian soccer. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let's stay in Canada, but move on to Major League Soccer. Vancouver Whitecaps RSL uh, action. Because, of course, in the middle of an international break, that's when you need MLS hurt. Oh, God. Sweet little stadium. Terrible turf. I've played on that turf. Not an easy time. Look at that. 30 that's off a 30, throw in. 31st minute, Ranko Veselinovic makes it 1 0 for Vancouver. Into the second half, Justin Miram here for RSL, going to get the equalizer. Oh, that's a fortunate touch. What is the right back doing trying to bring that down? Brings it down onto. Oh, onto right, right there to uh, Justin Miram's path, and Justin Miram with an easy finish. Into stoppage time here, Vancouver on the break. 
Luis Martins oh. into the box. Aaron Herrera crashes into him. We're going to the spot. Red for Herrera. That's just a silly, rash challenge. I mean, there's no reason to go in there. You're at the 92nd minute. Ryan Gold off the bench and onto the score sheet from the penalty spot. Vancouver oh. wins 2-1. to one. Nothing like the DP off the bench. All right, then, so let's take a look at the top of the Eastern and Western conferences, respectively. I guess not too much of a surprise about who leads the East and who leads the West. Your defending champions, New York City FC, sit atop the Eastern Conference, LAFC, four points clear of FC Dallas in the West. Got a nice little doubleheader on ABC for you this weekend. First things first, Saturday, it's Charlotte against the New York Red Bulls. That one starts at 3 p.m. Eastern time, not just on ABC, on ESPN Deportes as well. And then on Sunday, we got Sporting Kansas City against the New England Revolution, also a 3 p.m. Eastern time start, also on ABC, also on ESPN Deportes and streaming live on the ESPN app. All right, Herc, let's get to the women's game. Katarina Macario has suffered an ACL injury and she's going to miss at least the next few months. She was injured Wednesday as Lyon finished out their regular season. Uh, as a result, she's going to miss not just World Cup, but Olympic qualifying later this year. Both those happening, of course, in Monterrey uh, in July. Just devastating news for one of the world's most exciting young players and a player who figures to be a huge part of the national team moving forward. Here was her message on social media where Macario confirms her torn ACL. The bottom line at the very end, she says the most important part, quote, I will be back better and hungrier than before. No doubt about that. All right, Herc, so what does this mean? Not just for the U.S. Women's National Team, but I guess we go with a player perspective as well because you've been there before. What, one, two torn ACLs in your career? <laughs> One's enough. Uh, yeah. One of my uh, three knee surgeries. Let me start off with the U.S. Women's National Team. This means, at least for the time being, that generational shift uh, is going to have to wait because she was in contention both as a starting nine uh, versus Alex Morgan and also on the wing and you said Kristen Press uh, was right there rivaling her so for the time being that generational shift will have to wait um, that's unfortunate for Vlaco, unfortunate for, for the program uh, but from the players perspective I mean ACLs today aren't what they used to be you could come back potentially in six months. And if you were telling me this was Alex Morgan going out with an ACL tear on the other side of 30 with being more of a player who uses those physical capabilities to her advantage, her speed and things like that, I would be worried. But Macario being a player that's more of a skill set player, more a finesse player, more a technical player, craftiness to get in and out of plays, I am not so worried. And she may even come back stronger in six months from this injury. Uh, it definitely um, is not something ideal for a player, but you can come back stronger and better from it. Was the last show, was the last week when we actually asked the question, right? Right now, who would you have as your starting nine for the U.S. Women's National Team? There were only two choices. It was Alex Morgan or Katarina Makari, I think this injury answers that question, right? To your point, it right. answers it for the, for the short term. We know now for at least World Cup, Olympic qualifying coming up in July, it should be Alex Morgan up top. I think if she's the starter during you know, World Cup and Olympic qualifying, that means there's a much better chance that she's going to be your starter at the actual World Cup in 2023. That said, plenty of time, plenty of time for Katarina Makari. We're, we're 12 months now from the World Cup. So this player could not just come back, but I think if we're being honest, her could be at like 100% by the time the World Cup comes around. And if she is, 
Very little doubt for me that she's going to be included in probably uh, in some type of starting role. All right, uh, so this obviously opens up some minutes. You said Kristen Press. Is that who you said would be most likely to maybe take some of those minutes? Absolutely. Kristen Press, I mean, because of her ability on the wings, because of her experience, and now everybody wants a generational shift. But that may have to wait. And why some of these young players, like uh, Mallory Pugh, like uh, Trinity Rodman, you know, uh, Perth come out and the, awaiting their opportunity. You have players like Alex Morgan and Chris Impress who continue to impress at their age, continue to show why they're marquee players and will not be pushed out. So an injury like this may open the door for more responsibility for Press, if that makes sense. A young player, their absence giving you more responsibility. And that's what I see here. I like the Press shout because although they're different players, they're both players who can create on their own and not just like create for somebody else to tap in. No, take something and in a moment of magic, in a game that is 0-0, that is against elite level competition, they can create a goal. That is why to me, Press would maybe make the most sense to, to maybe take some of the minutes that are gonna open up here when Macario goes down. But there's a lot of those wide players. Pew, Rodman, you mentioned Midge Purse, Sophia Smith. All of those players now are gonna have more minutes at their disposal with Katarina Macario missing a huge tournament coming up this summer, World Cup and Olympic qualifying. All right, uh, one player that I did just mention is Trinity Rodman. Huh? Uh, cool story about her in the latest uh, E60, which is part of the uh, 50, 50, oh, sport, it's a sports center. Why don't we just watch it? I'll tell you what it is afterwards. <laughs> okay. Number two, forward, Trinity Rodman. Has a shot at goal and scores! Trinity Rodman cuts it back onto her left. Incredible! Rodman crosses, goal! Rodman taps it in! A brace for Trinity Rodman! In January of 2021, at 18 years old, Trinity Rodman was the youngest player in history to be drafted by the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. Rodman! The number two pick, minutes into her debut! Then in November, she helped lead the Washington Spirit to its first championship and was named Rookie of the Year. Trinity has written her own story, but it doesn't come without being reminded at every turn of her famous last name. Rodman in front, tallies! People do know Trinity Rodman, sometimes first before Dennis Rodman now. I'm not trying to overcome what he had accomplished. When did you really fall in love with the sport of soccer? Here's a look, Rodman! Rodman in, what a piece! A header for Trinity Rodman! I think I realized that soccer was gonna be my thing or just the competitive level was gonna be my thing when I couldn't accept that people could play a sport just for fun. <laughs> Trinity would be running from one end to the other. She literally would come off crying, saying, Mom, I don't understand. Why isn't anybody else like doing what I'm doing? We need to get a goal, you know? And that was literally, I think, when she was four or five. That's when I knew this is going somewhere. Every time she gets on the ball, the whole stadium comes to life. She has this fire that when it kicks off, it really is something to behold because when she gets going, I don't think that there's another player in the world that's like her. When people see Trinity, they see Rodman and they think she's had everything handed to her on a silver platter. What would you say to those people? Yeah, it's hard. And there are a lot of comments that, you know, go into 
you live in a mansion, your dad's taking care of you, and blah, 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 you know. It wasn't like that at all. At all. Trinity was born in 2002, two years after her father, Dennis Rodman, played his last game in the NBA. Another one for Dennis. He's a five-time NBA champion, but also known for his life off the court. Don't try this at home, people. Growing up, people always thought that me and my dad had a close relationship and like we never did. Living in Newport Beach, my dad was a little bit around but was still in the party NBA phase. He wasn't in our lives and I was with my mom and we were living separately but we were still seeing him. During the early years, he was around more. At the time, he was trying to become sober, he was trying to become a better person, but you know, as time, as time carried on, it just got worse and worse. And you know, you don't, that's not really the most ideal situation to be in with a, with a family, with, with two kids and a single mom. We kind of unfortunately then went through a really hard time where we were actually living in a motel and out of a car. I think their friends thought because of the name that they had money, but they've had a struggle. Michelle divorced Dennis in 2012, but she says she has always been supportive of her children pursuing a relationship with their father. I really hope that one day they have something. I don't know. But until then, they're moving forward and focused on what their lives are going to be and what they're going to become. The rookie arriving right foot, and that one stopped initially. Hatch with the bomb, and roofs it for the goal for the Washington Spirit. On November 7th, 2021, Dennis Rodman unexpectedly showed up for the first time to watch Trinity play professionally. Um, <laughs> when I saw my dad on the sideline, I didn't, I don't even know if there was a thought. <laughs> I think my mind went blank. He hadn't been to one of my games in a really long time and hearing his voice is also really nice. And it's just, in the moment I remember thinking, I was like, is this like the start? Like, is this, is this his effort to like start coming to more games? It was amazing to see him and hear him cheer me on on the sideline and knowing the other half of my parents was proud of me. I put that post out there of me and my dad because I didn't want it to get misconstrued. I didn't want people to think he was in my life when he wasn't. I've gotten to a place where I've found peace with it. But as of now, it's the same as it's been. Um, I see him like kind of never. Every opportunity I have to see him, I'm going to see him. And I am not looking at it negatively. Yeah, it sucks sometimes. But I think I've come to terms of not being sad about it and just being blessed with the family I have and being and taking advantage of every opportunity I have to be able to talk to him or see him. Dennis didn't respond to SC Featured's request to be interviewed. But despite not having the relationship she wants with her father, Trinity has found other ways to embrace their connection. Whenever I go shopping with any of my friends, like I'm the first one to grab like a tie-dye print or like an orange or red and everybody else goes for like white or black. And I think you could say I got that from my dad too with the wedding dress and all that stuff. I see her with her nails and her, her tattoos and her style. It's all unique, you've never seen it before. And that's definitely like my dad. I definitely think I'm my own person on the field, but then seeing those similarities within us, I'm like, whoa. Like, I kind of have to take a step back and I'm like, wow, I looked like my dad there. Like, whoa, that was a little too feisty. 
I'm so competitive and I want to win so bad that like seeing the similarities, I'm like, yes, okay, I see it. <laughs> February of this year, Trinity signed a four-year, $1.1 million contract, the biggest in National Women's Soccer League history. I feel like I'm paving the path for younger players, but also showing older players that this is what they should have gotten in the first place. And sometimes it feels like a dream, waking up and knowing I'm that person that kind of broke the mold. Two weeks later, Trinity made her U.S. Women's National Team debut. Here's Rodman in the box! Trinity Rodman has her first goal in a U.S. uniform! Growing up and having the strength that I've had through everything, Having so many obstacles and still being able to achieve everything that I did, I admire that about myself. Trinity, if your dad watches this, is there something that you'd want to tell him? <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. Um, I always looked at our relationship so negatively and it's easy to still do that, but I think I'd probably just say, Thank you for teaching me to move forward with my life. Thank you for teaching me the mistakes that could be made in the spotlight. I think it's hard to see the downfalls that come with it along with him not being in my life, but he's my dad and I love him. I love to have my last name and when I say Rodman, it's not my dad's name, it's my name. It's my brother's name, it's my family's name. It's ultimately the story that got me to where I am today. And I love that. Great work from the SE featured team there, part of the 5050 initiative celebrating 50 years, Herc, of Title IX. What do you think? Is Trinity Rodman the U.S. Women's National Team's next big star? Next big star? No, she is the big star now. Mm. Um, that's what I would argue, and I think the NWSL is banking on the same thing, making her the highest paid player uh, in today's game. Uh, you look at Trinity Rodman and what she's achieved, the level of success and attention, I don't see other players today getting that type of attention, that treatment, the marketing brands, that treatment with the Sports Center, uh, 50 for 50 features, all this attention that she is getting, plus the actual ability to back it up present day at 20 years of age, I'd argue she is a star today. Yes, she's not the star. She's not the big star yet, her, because she hasn't done it in a World Cup. As soon as that happens, I think you can uh, very well start to make Face. that argument. Face. You're right. And, and that's why she is, I think, going to be the next big star, right? She has that crossover potential. We probably haven't really seen it since, like, Wombach, Morgan, Megan Rapinoe is probably the last big crossover star. But that next generation of players that right now are in their prime, you got some great players, Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis, Crystal Dunn. But those players, have they don't have crossover superstardom yet. I think Trinity Rodman um, could reach that. I actually think this question might have been better if it was, is Trinity Rodman American soccer's next big star, men or women? It's Christian Pulisic right now on the men's side and probably the, the biggest star in, in, in all. But I think Trinity Rodman, if this women's national team does some big things over the next couple World Cups, Watch out. She's going to be one of the biggest names in this sport, in this country, uh, regardless of gender. All right, parting shot. Here's some, some sad news, Herc. Uh, it's been confirmed. Ted Lasso will wrap up 
after season three. You gonna be okay? I know you're a huge fan of the show. I am a huge fan of the show. I, I actually, I'm gonna be okay. It was written. It, it's written as the final season, so I, I don't know if there's some mystery there. I will share a story really quick, okay? okay. Uh, beginning of the pandemic, uh, I was allowed the opportunity to interview Jason Sudeikis about this show coming up, so I got a screener, watched it all in one night with my wife. We both loved it. The next day, I'm interviewing, interviewing him, excuse me, via Zoom, and he finds out that I used to play. It turned around to being him, like, almost interviewing me about what I thought of Ted Lasso. He wanted to know that it was validated by the soccer community. Mm. I thought that was pretty cool, and it speaks to them and kind of the heart and message of this show. Yeah. I think when the show first came out, you thought, all right, they're going to be taking a laugh at Americans in soccer. Um, and somehow they managed to do that and still make all Americans love yeah. the show. So a genius writing. It's a genius show. Um, you know those things that, that come from another part of the world that kind of cross over, like FIFA the video game? N not to that extent, obviously. Not, not to that yeah. impact. Yeah. But Ted Lasso is one of those things that crossed over. And people who in my life never talk to me about soccer. Oh, yeah would talk to me about Ted Lasso. So um, I'm glad we got one more season, but we will definitely be football missing it. Football is right. life. Football is life. And remember, Football Americas is life. Danny Rojas told us that on this very show. All right, uh, the Football Americas podcast is also live. Well, it will be live uh, at least tomorrow morning on your ESPN oh. FCB, so make sure to download that. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. We will see you like on Thursday with a full preview. But like a smaller one, Nations smaller League. version of Roy Kent. Like, way smaller. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate.